Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hey there, welcome to the School Safety Today podcast brought to you by the experts at Raptor Technologies. I am your host, Hillary Kennedy. And joining me today, I am happy to have Dr. Scott Pollan, professor and co-director of the Suicide and Violence Prevention Office, Nova Southeastern University, and also Chief Craig Miller, retired chief of police for the Dallas ISD Police Department. And I want to give you some background on our guests and their impressive resume. So I'll start with Dr. Scott Poland. He's a professor at the College of Psychology and the co-director of the Suicide and Violence Prevention Office at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He is a licensed psychologist and an internationally recognized expert on school safety, youth suicide, self-injury, bullying, school crisis prevention and intervention, threat assessment as well. He's also a founding member of the National Emergency Assistance Team and has personally assisted school communities after many tragedies, including 16 school shootings and numerous suicide clusters. And then we also have Chief Craig Miller, who is an accomplished leader and subject matter expert in school safety. He previously served as the police chief for Dallas ISD, one of the largest school districts in Texas. And during his tenure with the district, he managed a police department that consisted of 220 personnel. And these officers provided security for 160,000 students, 230 schools, and 23,000 employees. And then prior to working in the school system, Craig was a 30-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department, where he retired as deputy chief. Now, the focus of today's episode is going to be preparing for a safe reopening, addressing student mental health and emergency preparedness. Very important. We're going to be addressing impacts of the pandemic also on student mental health, how to support students and staff and their social, emotional, and mental health needs. And also, so important, preparing for potential school violence and emergencies. So Dr. Poland, Chief Miller, I am so glad you could both be on the show today and speak with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So Dr. Poland, I'm going to start with you. Uh, just something very basic that we need to know. What exactly is mental health and why is it so important for students? Well, Hillary, mental health is sort of general state of well-being. It's being able to manage stressors in our life. It's being productive as a worker or as a student. And when that mental health is out of balance, and too often when you say mental health, people immediately start talking about mental illness. But I think we could argue the mental health needs of children in American schools might be greater right now than ever before because of the pandemic, because of losing loved ones, because of financial hardships. And I'm so glad Chief Miller is here with us today because having worked in the Texas schools for 26 years, I believe in a partnership between schools, law enforcement, mental health personnel, really to safeguard our children. We need everybody involved today and very importantly, their parents. Well, and you mentioned, you know, all of these effects on students during the pandemic, like you said, losing loved ones, and there was a lot of isolation and fear. And there's also the concern that many students have lost ground academically. How do you think that's affected them? Well, I do have a great deal of confidence in teachers and that they'll figure out ways to help students catch up. But I think we have to acknowledge in particular children that lived in poverty, children of color, they fell further behind because of 
lack of technology or maybe not having parents that were at home that could help during the virtual learning. I want to ask Chief Miller, while we're talking about this, what would be the one thing after your many years of experience, what would be the one thing that would keep you up at night as the new school year begins to start coming up this fall? Well, I think coming out of the pandemic uh, is still the same constant, and that's really uh, active shooter. And what does active shooter mean? But I, I kind of the thing that I think that kept me up the most was uh, what led to the potential of an active shooter, which was the threats and social media threats. And how do we respond to those threats? And uh, really, how seriously do we take those threats? I think that's that's one of the things that seems reasonable that you would just, yeah, we got to take all of them serious and we do have to take all of them serious. But uh, when someone says tomorrow at Johnson Elementary, all the students are going to be killed uh, and parents don't send their children to school in fear for that, uh, we have to vet that threat. And so those threats in a large school district are coming in all the time. Uh, Luckily, I I have a chance to work uh, with a lot of smaller districts in the state now that I've retired and so I find that we think the problems are unique and specific to large departments or large districts, but that's not the case. Uh, someone who wants to make a threat uh, has to be vetted. But I think that's the thing that night that, that I worried most about was uh, someone calling me up and saying, hey, they're, they're saying at this school or that school, something's going to happen. And how do, you, how, how do we respond to that? So, Jamila, when it comes to those threats, what school grades or ages do you think are the most important for law enforcement to focus on as the next school year begins? Well, obviously, Sandy Hook is really the exception, but but the most violence uh, and, and threats are geared towards secondary campuses, the middle schools and the high schools. And I, and I think that's why that's where you see SROs, uh, school resource officers, and you see ISD police department, and that's where they, they put their resources. Uh, there are some districts that are fortunate enough to have officers in the elementary schools, but I do think that uh, the primary j- focus for having officers on campus is in the middle schools and the high schools, and uh, it's also that's where we're going to see the most potential because that's what experience has shown us. Well, Dr. Pollan, I, I want to talk about something else that's really been an issue with our schools. Prior to the pandemic, suicide was the second leading cause of death for children over the age of 10. So what effect do you think the pandemic will have on these suicide rates? Well, unfortunately, I think suicides will go up because of the poverty, because of the losses, because of the isolation. And we're seeing increasing numbers of children, even under the age of 10, threatening suicide. And it has to be taken seriously every single time with school staff making an assessment, notifying parents, school staff pushing for referral and services in the community. And, you know, related to the whole topic of suicide and school violence, a simple thought is that adults need to secure the guns in their homes. That's not questioning their right to own them. That's simply saying, make certain that your child could not use that gun to shoot someone else or to attempt suicide. So that's definitely one key for prevention. Do you have any other keys uh, for youth suicide prevention in schools? Well, it needs to be comprehensive, which means that we need to be training everybody annually what to look for, what to do. Don't keep a secret. Work as a part of the school team. And I've worked on numerous Texas projects and the training is not required annually, nor is it required for everyone. So I'm talking bus drivers, cafeteria workers, janitors, 
everybody knowing the warning signs. And what really holds suicide prevention back is we're afraid to talk about it. We think if we bring it up, somehow it'll happen. But when you bring it up, it actually gives the kid a chance to understand they're not the first kid to feel this way. There's help available. This doesn't have to happen. And a simple one, everybody has a smartphone. You push a button, you say, I want to kill myself. You're connected with the National Crisis Helpline. So there are resources available. And every student needs a go-to adult at school. Frankly, so many tragedies could be prevented if kids just went to an adult when somebody's talking homicide or suicide. So true. And and Chief Miller, I would love to know, do you think that law enforcement should regularly meet with a campus mental health team in this effort? Well, absolutely. For, first off, uh, it, it's important, I think, for everyone to understand that uh, in Texas, there's 1,025 school districts and roughly 300 of them have an ISD or their own police department. That means 70 percent of the state uh, officers are from municipalities, constables, offices, and sheriff's departments. School district police officers actually work for the district. I think they have, in some instances, a much better access to the mental health team as opposed to maybe a municipal or another officer from another entity coming into the school. But, you know, it's really critical. Uh, Senate Bill 11 here in Texas has really been critical with the introduction of, of threat assessment teams that are created on the campuses. And it's really it's been critical that, and important for schools to include law enforcement in that. Many times law enforcement are really considered a square peg in a round hole. We know that we want a police officer on the campus, but how much enforcement do we really want that police officer to do? And our job is not merely to uh, make arrests, uh, but it is to develop relationships with the students. So many times in the secondary campuses in particular, the officers, by developing those relationships, can see kids who start to miss school, can see kids who start to experience problems, who understand if students' uh, parents are going through a divorce, understand if there's financial issues. And because they have that relationship, it's really important that they communicate with the mental health team because there's many times this hand's not talking to this hand and we're not really helping one another. I think that's why it's so important to get all the hands coming together to the same place and everybody's intelligence will make the situation safer and better. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about those school shootings again, because Dr. Pullen, there were very few during the pandemic because children weren't in school. So do you expect a rise in school shootings for the 2021-22 school year? Well, certainly in comparison to the pandemic year. But I think it is important that we state that schools are actually very safe places. Frankly, most children get murdered at home. There was one that got murdered here, here locally. Now, having said that, one violent death on a school campus is unacceptable, and we all have to work on prevention in our homes, our schools, and our communities. There's concern that we might have younger and younger perpetrators and more female perpetrators, as in Idaho just a few weeks ago, that was an 11-year-old girl, and that was a gun that came from her home. Thankfully, nobody died. but. We've got to work on prevention everywhere. And so do you think that really is kind of where we're seeing the trend go is younger and younger and also female? Well, I certainly hope not, because historically, 99% of school shooters have been male. 
And by the way, their motivation is usually one of two things. Glory, they want to do something that will be remembered forever. And unfortunately, our media does glorify them. Or secondly, they have a grievance. They're wanting to get even. And the more we have mental health services, and I'm going to be honest, and that is mental health services in schools throughout the country are lacking. School counselors are doing testing and clerical duties. School psychologists are consumed with special education evaluations. We need real mental health services in our schools. I totally agree. And and Chief Miller, I would love to know if you believe that law enforcement should be involved with planning for potential school violence with the administration in the back to school teacher orientations when you really have an opportunity to work in a collaborative collaborative effort with teachers. Hillary, I'm, I'm going to get to that. I want to tag on a little bit to what Dr. Poland just said, though, uh, because I think it's really important. Um, so many we are all concerned about active shooter there there's no question that's that's the the thing that that, that keeps us thinking on our on our toes but but understand that uh, as you know statistically speaking you're more likely to be struck by lightning than you are to be in a school shooting that doesn't mean we take it any less serious but school safety is about a whole lot more than just active shooters it, it's about relationships so I, I just wanted to give kudos to Dr. Poland because he was spot on with that you know, you know, I do believe that police should be included with with administrators, but I also understand the hardship that, that's involved there. And I don't think a lot of people see this when teachers are out all summer, the administrators start coming back to school midsummer and then the administrators start having their meetings and the meetings are very timed and they're very precise. And some in some instances, law enforcement doesn't get time to get a slice of that pie because so much of what the reason why we're in schools is educating students Not so much that's the primary emphasis so i think it's critical for school districts to really take the time to step back and say look if, if we're going to say that school safety is educating kids is number one and providing a safe learning environment is number two then then let's let's put our money and our efforts and our time where what we say and by doing that, they should invite law enforcement to the table. And many times, as I mentioned earlier, since 70 percent of the school districts just in Texas are from municipalities and not school districts, because they're, those guys don't come back to school until school starts. Many times in the planning phase, they're not included in that, that course of that block of instruction uh, because, you know, it's not just the administrators because, you know, principals and assistant principals are the ones that lead the school. But you have teachers and substitute teachers and many people that come to the school once the school year rent comes. And those people actually are only in school just a couple of days before things kick into action. And in a place like Dallas ISD or a large school district, it's very difficult to go to many schools at one time and talk to those teachers. But if the, if the district is committed to safety and they take that time to allocate the time to, for that, that interaction with law enforcement, it'll certainly benefit them long term. Well, and I remember growing up, they really spent a lot of time where I went to school training us for tornado drills and fire drills. And now, of course, they've had to add on a lot of other emergency operations plans in addition to those that aren't weather related, but, you know, um, different kinds of emergencies. So how important, Chief Miller, would you say these emergency operation plans are? And do you think it's important for teachers to be trained and tested on these in addition to the ones we've been using for decades, but the ones that we need for the issues we're having now? 
Yeah, I think I think it's a lot more important that, than people realize. Uh, once again, stepping back, you know, we, we are in an educational environment, but there are many more things that happen in our schools today than just tornadoes and, and fire drills. And, and we know we all grew up doing those. You know, it's there. There are things that we have to prepare for. I've been in a couple of different schools uh, as security directors, helping them. Uh, in addition to my, my time in Dallas ISD, and you know, something as simple as uh, let, let's just say going back to uh, you, you have an incident, whether it's a, a social media threat or you actually have an incident that happens on the campus, and the kids are are uh, excited and the first thing they do is pick up their phone and call their parents and the first thing that happens is the parents then come to the school all right and so the front office at most schools can accommodate eight or ten parents so you get 300 parents that show up and then you go, go you have to know in your emergency operation plan who's in charge of the parents outside and notifying them because the school's in lockdown because it's when the school's in lockdown then no one can get into the school but the parents are being contacted by their 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 kids saying Mom, come get me. There's, there's been a shooting or there's a threat or this or that, even though it may or may not have even occurred. But the, that is where the planning is so critical and those emergency plans are so critical for the administration to, to designate who's going to go outside and confer with the parents and explain to them. Because when the local media shows up, they're just telling the media that they're scared because their kids tell them something bad's happened and the school must not be telling them the truth and they can't get in to see their babies. But that's not the case at all. There, there's an ongoing criminal investigation and we can't interrupt that criminal investigation. So there, there's, there's a lot of reasons why those plans are so critical uh, for everyone to understand what your role is in the event emergency situation happens or a situation that might not be an emergency, but you have a response. And if you've ever been, those, I'm sure you haven't, but I've been in two of those situations where parents bone rushed the, the school and wanted to get their kids out and the school was on lockdown because the police were still conducting an investigation and you had incredible anxiety. And I don't think that we performed in either school district probably as well as we could have. Right. It just creates such chaos without having that plan in place. Um, and Dr. Paulette, I know you've had a lot of experience with these instances, too. So do you have an example of when a critical incident occurred and everybody wasn't prepared sufficiently for how to act? And, and do you have a, a thought on how that could have been prevented? Yes, I do. And, you know, every school had a crisis this year, even though students weren't on many campuses around the country. And this is the time of the year for the administrators to sit around in cooperation with the police. What happened? What did we do? What could we have done better? What are we worried about? What did we learn? You know, I debated whether to give you this example, but I was called to Broward School District pretty much immediately after the Parkland shooting. And I shared a number of things that I think I've learned over the years. One is, help the faculty first. And part of that, of course, would be reaching out personally to families that lost a loved one or to anyone that was injured. Schedule a parent meeting as quickly as possible to give parents information about how to help their children and what are the typical reactions. Don't turn down any sources of assistance. Realize you're in this for the long haul. And I shared with them what's called Project Serve, Schools Emergency Response to Violence, which is money from the federal government in the aftermath of a school shooting. And I encouraged them to take that money because they're going to get more mental health professionals 
but they don't have confidential places for those professionals to work. So move trailers onto campus. Nobody wants to talk to somebody in the library about all their trauma. They want to be in a private office. And then name a recovery coordinator. Make this somebody's job about how the district is going to move forward. Now, if you followed the case, you know, there are multiple lawsuits and it's a complicated one to think absolutely about prevention, but well-trained threat assessment teams, as Chief Miller mentioned, less gun access is certainly important, better mental health services, taking it seriously when someone comes in and states that somebody is threatening violence. And then, of, of course, it's so important for everybody to share information. What's FERPA actually say? In an emergency situation, you can and should share information with everybody who needs to know. A kid's threatening a shooting, a kid's threatening suicide, that's an emergency. Everybody needs to share information and take appropriate action. Yes, that communication is so critical. Um, when we're talking specifics, uh, Chief Miller, I want to know, do you think it's important to reduce the number of entry and exit points into schools? And also, do you think metal detectors are a deterrent to students bringing guns into schools? Well, those really go hand in hand. Um, I think many times when a crisis occurs anywhere in the country, one of the first thing legislators want to do is well, they need metal detectors. Well, from being someone who worked in a school district that, that had a number of metal detectors assigned to the, the secondary campuses, I find that they're totally ineffective and, and serve no real purpose. They're incredibly labor intensive. Assigning people to them is, is bothersome. Uh, it's a burden on the teachers if you ask them to be a part of the role. But the fact is, is that if, if you're a school district, if you're a school and you're a high school and you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 exterior doors to your school, which most of the larger schools do, then you, and let's say you have a metal detector at that school and the metal detector is at the front door. Well, if, I, if a student thinks that he can come through one of the secondary entrances into the school and avoid going through the metal detector, that's exactly what they're going to do. In my nine years for the Dallas ISD, uh, having metal detectors, we never got a gun uh, off a student at a metal detector the entire nine years I was there. However, we did have many instances where students were arrested on campus with a gun. So I know that they're coming through these other exit points. When I went down, I had an opportunity with the Texas School Safety Center to go down and participate in an audit of the Santa Fe ISD school district here in Texas where the, the school shooting happened and 10 students were killed. And, you know, they, they shored up the school and they, they did put metal detectors into the school. And one of the things I saw was is that the teachers were assisting and manning those metal detectors. Uh, and so when you look at the time in the morning when they're, when they're going to be operational all day, but if you're going to have a metal detector in your school, why wouldn't you have one at your basketball game? Or why wouldn't you have one at your football game? Or why would you just limit it to the people coming in and out of school? And then it gets into a, a whole nother access or in entry issue. So, you know, I, I think reducing the number of doors is, is really important. Uh, and, and what I try to help tell school districts is, you know, if you've got 40 doors and in, in, in the morning when the kids are arriving, kids participating in band, kids participating in athletics, and 30 of those 40 doors are open, is there a way that you can reduce it to 10 doors is open? I mean, obviously, I want them all coming through one primary entrance point and one primary exit point. But 
if you're a district and you have schools that have portable buildings, outbuildings, and those uh, kids have to transfer between classes, you have to leave the doors open. And I think uh, Dr. Poling could probably speak better to this than me, but Parkland had that because there's a very large campus with a lot of different buildings that, that were there. And that plays a role in it too. And so that, that brings up whole additional issues. But it should be our emphasis uh, for, from school administration and from law enforcement's perspective to have as many doors and, and, and tighten things down as much as we can. Elementary schools, I really don't see, I don't see problems. When you try to do something called an intruder assessment, getting into an elementary school, you'll see that uh, generally speaking, they're, they're locked down tight. Uh, the, the main place, the only place you may be, be, be able to gain access might be uh, by coming in through the cafeteria. Uh, but other than that, you don't see that. But secondary campuses in many instances are open and we, we need to do a better job there. Well, and Dr. Pullen, uh, while we're talking about the role of police in school safety, there was a movement in this past year um, to reduce police presence in our schools. What do you think about that? I'm actually a very big fan of police in schools and the partnership with school administrators. And actually, my partner is a retired principal. And to be honest, some of the police in school are fully a part of the team. That's what the school wants. And SROs in particular, you know, they develop relationships with staff. They develop relationships with students. That's what we want. That's building on the, the prevention aspect of this. So I do not support defunding police at all. I think we, we need maybe to work on better training and better partnerships, but I think they have a very important role in our schools. Well, and I'll close on this question for you, Chief Miller. Uh, why do you feel like it's so important for law enforcement and school administrators to have a like mindset when it comes to school violence and be on the same page? Well, it's, it's a very fine line, Hillary. Uh, just like in the social media threats, if, if you, you bet that threat and you determine that a student said that everyone's going to die tomorrow at a school and and you um, uh, ask the student, you know, did you have a gun? No. Do your parents have a gun? No. Did you mean to, to make a threat that caused all this alarm? And the student says no. Um, the fact is, is that student has still committed a terroristic threat, which is a crime under the, the te- under a penal code. But administrators view that as an administrative issue and not something that should have that student interjected into the prison, the pipeline system. But so the officer is like, well, half the parents want the, the, the child to go and be incarcerated. Half the parents in the administration want that child to be treated as an administrative issue because they didn't have a gun. And the police officer's walking right down this very fine line. So it's really important for the administration and the officers to know, okay, what is it that you're wanting me to actually do? School today, with, with when you bring in a drug dog to a school and the drug dog alerts on drugs in a, in a locker. Uh, there's times in the past where students have been arrested for that. Now some administrators are saying, no, we don't want students arrested for that because they had a certain amount of, you know, marijuana may be legal in some places, but it's not legal inside the school. And so, you know, there's a number of issues and you're asking the officers to perform this task. And if they arrest, if, if, if they, uh, the dog hits on a, a, a locker and there are drugs inside it, the officer wants to make an arrest because that's what he's there for. The school administration goes, well, hold on now. You know, we're going to handle this administratively. So it's really important and it's difficult. It is a very fine line. So I think it's critical for the administration and law enforcement to sit down before the school year starts and say, what is it? What is your expectation of us? Because this is what we plan to do as a portion of doing our job. And those conversations have to be ongoing 
and and they have to be developed because like Dr. Poland said, th- these officers, you know, should be a lifeline to the school. They should be included in all the major meetings that take place with staff. They should be involved in all the training that takes place with staff because they're, they're privy to a lot of information, but they're also responsible for performing a lot of functions that a lot of people don't want to handle. Well, I have to say this has been such a helpful and very hopeful conversation. It gives people a lot to think about, plan for. Dr. Poland, Chief Miller, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your expertise with us. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And I want to thank all of you for watching, for tuning in to School Safety Today, brought to you by Raptor Technologies. If you like what you heard, you can check out more episodes of the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode soon, but until then, on behalf of Market Scale, I am Hillary Kennedy. Thank you so much for watching.